And let me be the 31st person to wish you Merry Christmas today. It is a joy, it is a privilege to worship together on Christmas morning. It may be a little harder than some mornings with busyness and with activity, but it is a good thing to be together, even on a cold Christmas morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. And if you don't have your Bibles, the text is printed in your bulletin and it should be displayed on the wall. But for our Christmas sermon, for this occasion, I've chosen Paul's uh, words from Galatians 4. As they're some of my favorite to reflect on in the Christmas season as they summarize the beauty of what we are celebrating and of what God has done for sinners. So if you identify as a sinner and that Jesus is your only hope for forgiveness, then listen to God's word. Be reminded of why we have reason to celebrate this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Let's pray that God would show us the beauty of what we are worshiping this morning. Father in heaven, would you take these words in these few moments, all the hymns that we've sung, all the scriptures that we've heard, and Lord, would you warm our hearts with the good news of Christmas, that it is a gift that can never be taken from us, that it is a gift that truly keeps on giving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, 19, in the 1920s, I learned this week that the very first item for sale that was promoted as a gift that keeps on giving was put up for sale. So what is a gift that keeps on giving that was advertised and promoted in American culture? It was the RCA Victor radio. And you can Google that and see what it looked like. If you, if you wanted music in your home, you could now have it. You could have it nonstop. And you had this monstrosity of an instrument that could pump that, those sounds into your home. And it was advertised as the gift that keeps on giving. Then a few generations later, Kodak picked up on that theme and it advertised a gift that keeps on giving with its camera and how you could secure pictures of your family and your loved ones. And it was a gift that just kept on giving. And then not too long after that, the kitchen range, the oven, 
was advertised as a gift that just keeps on giving. And I suppose, depending on the cook in the home, it could be a gift that kept on giving good gifts, or, or maybe not. Maybe it was burnt offerings that <laughs> it could provide. But isn't that a brilliant marketing strategy to try to get someone to buy into something with the hope that it will never fail you? And that it will never end. In fact, it keeps on giving. It will never break down. And of course, we know none of that is true. All of these things, outdated, made of plastic, made of metal that will rust, with parts and components that get outdated. You can't find them. You can't replace them. So at the end of the day, you're left with a tagline and with a sales pitch. It's not really a gift that keeps on giving, not forever, not eternally, not in a fulfilling way. It's just a good sales line. Well, this morning, I want to highlight the truth that there is a gift that keeps on giving. And it's not corny. It's not cheesy. It's not an advertising line. It is the truth of what God has given us in his son. And we've been studying Hebrews in our congregation for some 16 weeks. And we have seen that this gift that God gives is a never-ending sacrifice. It never fails. It pleads for us. It redeems us. It is truly a gift that never fails. The gift that keeps on giving. It is the gospel of Christmas. And it is your gift and it is true for you if your faith is truly in Christ. If your faith is truly in Christ, it is the gift that never fails. So two simple points this morning. That's my gift to you, two points, instead of the normal three or four. The first is this, Christmas. God's perfect timing. God's perfect timing. Listen again to the first part of verse 4 in Galatians 4. But when the set time had fully come, when the set time had fully come, different versions will word this a little differently. When the time had fully come, uh, in the fullness of time, some translations, some versions will say, all of that communicating the same truth. And this is what's beautiful for me. That God was in control of history from day one, orchestrating everything to fulfill his redemptive purposes in Christ Jesus. In a word, that sentence is saying that God is sovereign. God is truly sovereign, not sovereign in the way that we speak of earthly kings. He has been sovereign as only a heavenly king can be. And last night as we rehearsed the scriptures of Old Testament and New about this suffering servant who would come, how he would be born in a lowly estate, uh, all of these hard truths that were mysterious to the people, that confounded the people, that, that surely this is not how the Christ would come into the world. Oh yes, it was. And it was all a part of God's sovereign plan. Everything with Herod and the persecution all a part of God's sovereign hand. Nothing happening apart from His ultimate sovereign timing and His will. 
When the time had fully come, God had been unfolding history, preparing the way for the Messiah. And when the timing was just right, God sent his son to do everything he had promised that his son would do. This was God's plan of redemption. It's what's unfolded for us as the church in the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament. In our words of reflection this morning, we heard those familiar words uh, from Exodus chapter 6, where it says, The Lord says, I have heard the groaning of my people, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God, and I will deliver you from your bondage and slavery. That's all a part of God's redemptive plan that would be a part of his timing, that would be a part of his purpose. And that great event of the Old Testament, the Exodus, was but a shadow and type of the deliverance that we would have in the Lord Jesus Christ. An incredible event of God's redemptive work in history, fulfilling of his promises then, but his ultimate promise of delivering his people from their sins. It was all a part of God's sovereign plan, all a part of his timing where everything was shaping as he would shape it. He would prove himself to be our great defender, our protector, our great deliverer. Some of you may have heard the story, it's about a week old, maybe it's two weeks old, of Casper, the great Pyrenees shepherd dog. This was in the state of Georgia just a week or two ago. And the story, it was all across all the different news outlets. Some of you saw it. But Casper was a 21-month-old great Pyrenees sheepdog who defended his sheep when a pack of coyotes attacked his sheep. Now, there were several of these Pyrenees sheepdogs, but what Casper did was different than the other dogs. The other dogs corralled the sheep into a corner of the pen and stood between these 11 coyotes and the sheep. But Casper did more than that. Casper jumped a four-foot fence chased down the 11 coyotes, and here's what he's known for. He killed eight of them. He was greatly wounded in his battle, almost to the point of death. The rancher came and found all the dead bodies that Casper had taken care of and found on the third day. So Casper's injured, he runs away. On the third day, he comes back. Brace yourselves for an Easter illustration in the future. <laughs> On the third day, he comes back wounded near, near death. And his uh, rancher, who was formerly a pastor or a bivocational pastor, took him to a vet. And this message, as it went viral, <clears throat> he was able to raise $15,000 for Casper for his vet bills. Now, why do we like that story? I like that story. Maybe you didn't like that story. We love a good story of a hero, of someone who does more than, you know, protect in the corner, but who will jump 
the four-foot fence and pursue the coyotes and the whole pack and take care of them and save the day. We love stories like that. that those are steer, uh, stories of heroes. And so the world loves it and they'll give money. They'll give $15,000 to help Casper get better. We like it because it is but a little glimpse, a little shadow of the kind of hero that we know that we need. And it's the hero that the scriptures tell us that we have. One who didn't jump just a four-foot fence, but one who came down from heaven, gave up all of his glory for the moment, and took on flesh, and dealt with our sin problem through his own death and through his own blood. We love a story of a hero who rises to the occasion, who overcomes the foe. And that's all a part of God's perfect timing and his provision of Jesus to deliver us from our sin. Sinclair Ferguson says this, this story of Christmas that God with us has come to be God for us by dying for us on the cross. And he comes to be God for us on the cross so he could be God with us for the rest of our lives and into eternity. That's the story of deliverance, the story of redemption that ultimately warms our hearts in a way that Casper only hints at, that he's a shadow of a story, of a true story, a larger story. So Christmas is the story of God's perfect timing. He is sovereign. He has had a plan. He has been fulfilling it. And we rejoice that God had perfect timing in doing what he did to deliver us from our sin. But secondly, Christmas is God's perfect gift. It's the perfect gift. Listen again to what Paul says about that. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. It is God's perfect gift, his gift of salvation, the perfect person, the perfect timing, all done in the perfect way. This Savior would have to be born of a woman, born under the law, to deliver those born of woman and born under the law. This is the gift of promise. This is what God said he was going to do. If you remember Genesis chapter 3, the promise that God would send someone, the seed of the woman, to overcome the serpent, to crush the head of the serpent. And that's the beginning of that promise, that Christmas promise, that gospel promise. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, that God would send someone to crush the head of the serpent. And that promise is unfolded through all of Scripture. 
as it becomes more and more clear that God was doing something, he was fulfilling a promise. A woman would give a child, and that child would be the Savior of all. It's the gift of promise. It's also the gift of grace. It's God's perfect gift of promise. It's God's perfect gift of grace. Grace offered to those who didn't deserve it. And that's what grace is. What do we contribute to our salvation? Our sin. That's what we bring to the table. The Lord Jesus brings grace and mercy and blood and peace. And it's through his blood that we have peace with God. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. And in him and through him, we have peace with God. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. Yet to all who did receive him, that is Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. To those who received him. The Lord Jesus is the perfect gift. The gift of promise. The gift of grace. And when he is your great gift from God, there's a third thing that you get. And that's the gift of joy. The gift of joy secured for you. Now when I say that, let's be sure we distinguish our terms. It's not talking about happiness. It's talking about joy. Happiness is fleeting. It comes and it goes. But when the scriptures speak of joy, they're talking about something that is eternal and that is secure, and that cannot be taken from you. Oh, let's imagine this, children. Perhaps you'll get a present today. Perhaps you've already gotten a present. And it will make you so happy when you open it up. I have this memory from my own childhood. I got a, a great toy, the toy that I wanted. But that happiness quickly was dashed when there were no batteries. And you can't go buy batteries on Christmas morning. And as happy as I was, suddenly there's no batteries. I've made this mistake as a parent also, and probably you have too. It's common to us all. Happiness comes. Happiness goes. That's not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is talking about a joy, something given to you as a gift that cannot be taken from you. It's the Lord Jesus who secures joy for his people. He does it through his gift of salvation. And that can never be taken from those to whom he gives it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. That is what Christ has done. That is what he has secured. And there is joy to be had in that. Not happiness that's fleeting, but joy that is secure. Almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? 
Everything we say about Christmas almost, almost sounds too good to be true. But Christmas is the gift that far exceeds our wildest dream. It seems too good to be true, but God himself has done it. If left to us, it is too good to be true. But when left to him, it is true, it is secure, it is a gift, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. It's a gift, and it's given with security, and we're thankful for it. Lori James, a week ago, went to her office Christmas party. A dental office Christmas party. This was in the state of Kentucky. She went to her dental office Christmas party and they played the white elephant gift. Where you know how that works. Some of our youth did this at the youth party last week and were introduced to the white elephant gift exchange. Did not know that a gift could be taken from you. And that's the curveball in the white elephant gift exchange. Lori Janes had her office party her white elephant gift. She was delighted to open her gift, which was a $25 gift certificate to TJ Maxx. Did you hear this in the news? This is a true story. Her gift was taken from her. It was stolen per the rules of the white elephant gift. And she was very sad. She had to pick another gift. The gift she now opened was a lottery ticket. $25 worth of lotto ticket. Nobody ever wins a lottery. She was sad. Her happiness was fleeting with the changing of a gift. After the white elephant exchange finished, they said, go ahead, scratch off your lotto ticket. She scratched it off. The first little block she scratched off, she won $10. Yay, she won $10. It's not the worst gift ever. She scratched off the next little box. $175 It's a true story. This is not a plug to play the lotto. Don't... (laughs) I'm not saying that. But what I want to capture is... Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? $25 TJ Maxx. Ah, lost it. But then blown away by something greater. If you're hearing the message of Christmas or if you've ever grasped the message of Christmas, it should overwhelm you that you've traded in the $25 gift card of this world and been embraced by something far more unimaginably good than you could ever have. That's the gift of Christmas that we were settling for $25 gift certificates when all of God's riches are offered to us and secured for us in Christ Jesus. So consider your happiness as you open your plastic gifts today, children. There's a joy to be had, a joy that cannot be taken from you. That's why we met last night. That's why we met this morning is that we could worship God for what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. It should give you great joy. I'll finish with this quote from J.I. Packer. Sums it all up. 
The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon. Hope of peace with God. And hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable. So that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. It is the most wonderful message that the world has ever heard or ever will hear. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice with great joy for what you have done for your people, the church. Though we are a sin-ruined mess, you have loved us still, sending your Son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Lord, would you give us eyes and hearts and ears to see and believe and understand the beauty of your gift at Christmas, that it is the one gift that truly keeps on giving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.